0: Say it. This is my Bible. I believe it's God's Word. I believe every word is true and it's all that I need. Chapter 9, I mean, it's it's kind of a, a different kind of chapter. It's a necessary one, but you know, we've come off. Last week it was like, oh, just love that Noah. I just I mean he just almost seemed perfect. And and um it's not that he was, but when he walked with God, that phrase I just hope none of us forget when we walk with God, when we when we sense that he's there and we we're living accordingly, when we know we're in right fellowship with him and we know that i can't say that enough i personally know when i'm walking with god and when i'm not i mean it's it's so evident in in my attitude in my direction that i'm heading and and uh, it's just so clear that walking with god is is the phrase and and now when they walked out of the ark i mean I'm still taken, aren't you, by every time God told him to do something like, you know, build this monstrosity and it's going to rain for 40 days, you know. I mean, it was all such an unusual and almost, almost, you know, too much to comprehend. I mean, it was overwhelming. It was almost ridiculous. And yet you saw that phrase and he did just what God told him to do. No questions, no doubts. He just did it. Now, isn't that a goal? I mean, we we get asked of God sometime to to either be or, or to do the way we think. No, I can't. I can't possibly do that. I can't possibly act like that. I can't I can't be that. And and He says, "Yes, you can." Because I, when you walk with me, you know I'm there. And and then. Then we see how tonight he starts, you know, the eight of them are out of the ark, and things have changed, even though the world has been cleansed. But yet, you know, the eight are still, they're still, and they're not like Adam and Eve when there was no sin. I mean, we're still living in sin the old world and they're even though they're righteous, God knows it's gonna it's gonna it's gonna get bad again. And it does. But right now he sets up some more responsibilities to them. But he starts this chapter by saying, and God blessed Noah. God bless Noah. And that that word, I just want to talk about that word a minute because I um, how many of us love that song um, that called The Blessing? You know, it's from, it's from Numbers, Numbers, and in that song, I think, why do we love that? Why does that seem to grab our heart? And, and you hear that it's, it's just exactly the verse of Scripture, you know, when it talks about Hey, the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face shine upon you, be gracious to you. You know, he, and then, then it gets to that harmony where amen, so be it. And then it goes on to say, and he is with you in the morning, in the evening, and and he is before you and he's behind you, and he's next to you. And then it gets really personal when he's in and he is faithful, and you, it's our responsibility to pass it to your children and their children and their children. In other words, this whole message of, of Jesus, the blessing of God, is to be passed from generation to generation. So that word blessing is is such a gift. It's it's an extension of God's grace. It's it's a protection that He He gives. It is just not only a good word, but it's a securing, it's a very securing word. And and, you know, it's kind of like the song reminds us too: is that may his favor be upon you and when god gives a blessing he is setting his favor and we should think that that's a real compliment and that should um that should make you then want to live the way he has has demanded us to live he's, he's blessed us so god bless noah and his sons so you know he's reminding them i'm right here i'll be in front of you behind you and next to you but i need you to be faithful to the next generation and then they will be faithful to the next generation this has got to continue so he's putting big responsibility on noah and those sons because they need to start all over again and then he says too that yeah, look at be fruitful increase in number and fill the earth and then verse three, verse 2 the fear and the dread of you will fall upon all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air upon every creature that moves along the ground and upon all the fish of the sea they are given into your hands. The line that intrigued me was the fear and dread of you will fall upon all the beasts of the earth and the birds of the air. I mean so a whole different kind of relationship with the creatures, with the animals. And he is saying, you know, because now I'm going to give you, just as I gave you the green plants, I now give you everything. Everything that lives and moves will be food for you. So he basically had to give fear to the animals for man because, you know, I mean, I I was thinking about, let's let's say a cow. I mean, you know, maybe a cow... Is fearful of no one's sons because maybe they want a steak that day. You know, I mean, you know, there's gotta be a whole different beast before, you know, they couldn't they couldn't eat animals, they couldn't do that. So now the whole everything is permissible. And so that does change the relationship. And for whatever reason, God says, all right, this is the way I now give you everything. But you must not eat meat that has its lifeblood still in it. Now, you know, that too is puzzling for me. I mean, I didn't quite know what that meant. I thought, oh, shoot, I like my meat medium rare. I like a pink and maybe even a little, little red juice running through. Maybe that's, you know, And no, no, the more I looked at it, and it doesn't mean that at all. You know, I know this is almost barbaric, but, but there were there were people, God knew, that would just kind of eat eat meat from an animal that was still alive, almost like cannibalism. I know that sounds gross, but the more I read on it, it's really true. And he's saying, no, you are not to eat anything with lifeblood in it yet. You know, it's too bad sometimes he has to even give some of these instructions, but see, he knows the depravity of man, and he knows what they're capable of extending themselves to. I mean, when... And even to that, you must not eat meat that has its lifeblood. And for your lifeblood, see, now he's moving into, um, and for your lifeblood, I will surely demand an accounting. I will demand an accounting from every animal and from each man too. I will demand an accounting for the life of his fellow man. That was a lot of words, but he wanted to stress a point that after the flood, and because he knows that sin is still going to just permeate and explode again and all that, he's setting up some really big guidelines about the importance of life. And, you know, you cannot help when you read something like that, when you think, how he must weep, and I believe he can. You know, I know someday there'll be no more weeping and mourning and that because all sin and all this yuck will be gone. But right now I believe we have a God who mourns and he weeps because you you just know what I'm gonna say, don't you? I mean, you think how lightly people look at life nowadays. I mean, we see it with abortion, of course we see it there, you know. I mean, I mean, how can someone, even though it's proven, it's proven that at conception, this child is alive? And and because maybe it, it didn't come at an opportune time or it's inconveniencing or whatever, whatever crazy excuse they can give, they just think nothing of it. And how this has to break God's heart. As he said, and I think it's because he knew, he knew that someday we were gonna be doing this. And so he says, I want you to give an accounting. You life is important. In fact, in fact, I want you to give an account even of animals. Just know that when I create something, it is valuable. And for you to think it's not, I mean, you think of even the, the, the shootings on the news, I mean, drive-by, innocent people, I mean, even children, the drive-by shootings, they kill someone in the house, a baby in in the crib because of a stray bullet just, I mean, you, how, what is the deal? But God knew. And so he puts up these laws, and then he goes farther, and he says, "Whoever sheds the blood of man by man shall his blood be shed." For in the image of God has God made man. I mean, this is this is something. Remember how when in when God made Adam, it said He breathed into Adam, He breathed into him the breath of life. He breathed into him a soul, and. And Adam and all of us are made in God's image, and it's not to be taken lightly. Now, some people love to take that verse six and they love to make it. Well, see, God put a stamp of approval on capital punishment, and and you know your views. I mean, we could we could debate it all night long on whether it's what God intended or what. But you know, if if you don't mind just bearing with me. I, Really, really, in fact, even yet this afternoon, after doing three classes already, I'm still sitting there this afternoon really thinking this through. Because it says it, doesn't it? That whoever sheds the blood of man by man shall his blood be shed. It's very clear. But I go back and I think, God never, never intended for a man to kill each other. He never wanted it. I mean, even with Cain and Abel. I mean, we saw it by using that story, God really taught us a lesson. Didn't he? How how when emotions get out of control? I mean, he was. It was his heart was wrong, and that is why his offering was not accepted. It had nothing to do with what he gave. It was his heart condition. But he was so jealous of Abel. He was so mad and so feeling sorry for himself that he let that anger turn to bitterness, and bitterness turned to hatred, and hatred then turned into, it just escalated to, I'm gonna, I'm gonna plan how I can get him in the field, and I'm killing him. God never intended. Now, I know when, when God handed down Cain's punishment and his judgment, God didn't take his life. You know, that's, that's something. Now, I know it's, it's pre-flood, so maybe things were different, but God did not. He said to him, he said, All right. he gave him chances. He gave him so many chances to make a different choice. I mean, even to the end, after he killed Abel, where's your brother? A chance for him to say, oh, did I? I really blow it, you know. I mean, it, it still would have been a, a, a sin he would have had to pay for, but he would have known he did it. It was his choice, and his heart wasn't right. I mean, to accept that and acknowledge that God would have worked with that, but because he went into self pity, and what God said, "You are going to be, you are going to be cast away." You cannot live right here. You have to be sent away. And he, all he did was feel sorry for himself. And he made a final choice. He walked out of God's presence. You know, that, those words, those two words, too late. And we talked about that last week with the flood and, and how God said that's enough. And, and he chose these eight words. Righteous people who walked with him, and he he saved the the world basically through these eight. And because of his heart condition, he obeyed. Noah obeyed, and they had they had so many mocking and ridiculing. And and then last week, to me, one of one of the highlights for me to acknowledge. Noah's heart was after going on the ark when God said, come, come onto the ark now. And the eight of them went on the ark, and then it didn't do anything for seven days. And there they sat with those howling mockers out like, you you are nuts. And it proves it. Look, at nothing's happening. And they just sat there, and they just trusted God. But when the rain started, you know, did they hear? Did they recognize voices who were now trying to get in and it was too late? We talked about how the ark represents the cross and, and how there will be a judgment, not like, and we'll see tonight, the covenant was made. We, we won't lose this earth through a flood and that, but there is going to be. There is going to be accountability. There's going to be a judgment. We're living in the day of grace right now, but there will be. Every sin will be recognized. God hates sin. And that's, we've said it over and over, that's why Genesis is a book that people just want to toss out because it's so exposing. It just exposes how, in our own sinful human nature, how self just wants to take over We want what we want. So what is that? I think God put that in there because he never intended for people to kill each other. He expected them, and I think Jesus kind of nailed it in, in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5. And you know those verses where Jesus said, I know you've heard I mean, you know, when Jesus said that, he was talking to, the, you know, Jews that had, had those, you know, they had the first book of the Bible, and they knew, but, you know, everything is always, even though God said it, they take it a little farther, and, you know, that's what human nature does. We just want revenge instead of handling it when, when we should handle it, when, when someone either does something to us or we've done something to them or whatever. We have moments like Cain that we could change. There's, there's a timeline in there that you, you can make difference. It doesn't have to get to killing right away. And, and, you know, I don't think sometimes he's always talking about actual, literal killing. He's talking about relationships that we have, and that is so prevalent today. I hear the horror stories of because someone said this, and, and we revenge back. We want to retaliate. And then we, when we retaliate, we always want to make it a little worse, a little harder, so it's it's just unfortunately this is the results of a sinful nature. It's sometimes I can even say that that we're guilty of of, of approving someone's failure more than their success. And, and this is just when you really are honest. I think a chapter like this exposes us for for really how we are because sin changed everything. So when he made that, I think he's saying, and when Jesus said this, and he said, I know you've heard those lines, but we we never wanted you to get to that. We wanted you to to handle situations with, with the way Jesus handled us while we were sinners and didn't even realize it. He was willing to die for us. Handle handle our, our insults and handle our difficulties with people and even sometimes with families. Handle it with the gospel of Jesus, the way he did. That's what Jesus said. He said, I know you've heard an eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, but I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you that if someone has has wronged you or if someone has... Smack down on the cheek, turned the other cheek. And then he also, he made reference, and this was really fascinating to me, so I checked it out. Maybe you know knew this, Roddy, right? but when he said, um, and if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. I mean, it's just totally opposite of what human nature wants to do. But then he said this, if someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. I I didn't know what that meant. I just always passed over, thinking, well, we're supposed to be gracious. And but there is a there's there's a, a real story to that. In that day, Roman men, if they had to travel and they had to carry a backpack or something heavy, it was nothing for them to haul a Jew, a Jewish man, and say, I want you to carry this for a mile. It's your It's your responsibility. We demand it, it's part of, it's, you just have to, there's no question. And so this Jewish man would have to stop whatever he was doing and carry that for a mile. And that was, you know, that's what Jesus was talking about. So when he said it, people knew, because you, you know that those Jewish men thought, God, this is terrible. This isn't even right. I've got to stop what I'm doing and just haul his stuff for a whole mile. And Jesus is saying, how about it that, yeah, you do the mile, but then after that mile, that's because you have to do it. How about saying, hey, I'll take it another mile. Can you imagine that Roman man who hears that? I mean, that's unheard of, that behavior. He, he knows that's probably why he's doing it in the first place, just to get them angry. And then you come across and you say, you know what, I can, for a gift to you, I'm just going to take it another mile. Let's go. I mean, I bet that Roman man's dad sat there with his jaw dropped. And Jesus is trying to make that personal. He's trying to say, did you ever, instead of retaliate, did you ever think, you know, you might be able to change the whole field, this whole thing, if you go the extra mile. Makes pretty good sense. This is this is what Jesus expected. This is what God meant. And I think He's saying, and if you don't, if you don't value life and relationships, and you wanna, you you're just, you know, you're just gonna blow a fuse, and it's just going to, you're gonna pay back, and you're gonna revenge and retaliate, and it's just gonna cause all the worse, and even get to the point where. You are out of control, and you just, like Cain, you kill. And then, that's when this law comes. When you aren't willing to do it the way God wants you to do it, then you take a life, an innocent life, and it, it then you'll pay. Then your blood for his blood. But I don't think, knowing God the way we do, I don't think he ever, ever wanted it to get that far, that we would stop it before it got that far. But by saying that and putting it that direct, he's saying, that's how important life is to me. That's how important relationships are. And just because you get mad, because you're hurt, and you want to get back, self gets in there. You carry it too far. I want you to know what happens. So, I mean, to me, there was so much more than, well, let's debate if we believe in capital punishment or not. I think it's far more than that. For we are made in the image of God. We are made in the image of God. And we should never take that for granted. And even some of the worst people are made in the image of God. I know it's hard to believe But God always, always, there there is no sin that he won't forgive. I mean, no matter what someone has done, the only sin that we know that's unforgivable is when somebody hears the Holy Spirit telling them to go to the cross for salvation, and they won't do it. But he said, even blaspheming my name, Anybody who comes to me with confession and repentance, it will be cast as far as the east is from the west. And like we said last week, he will remember that no more. But he's saying to Noah, he's saying to us, there's responsibility when it comes to life, you are accountable. And then he he says, verse 7, is for you, be fruitful and increase in number, multiply on the earth and increase upon it. Then, Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after." And with every living creature that was with you, the birds, the livestock, all the wild animals, all those that came out of the ark with you, every living creature on earth, I established my covenant with you. Never again will all life be cut off by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth." Boy, he put that, in. I'm making a covenant with you. And that's another word. I mean, it was like the word blessing. I just wanted to, I just knew there was something really, and maybe it's because of that song, that blessing from number six, when God blesses and he makes sure we know that that he is with us. I mean, how many times in that song don't you hear that? And he is for you, and he is for you, and he is for you. The reason why it has to be in there so many times is that we finally got to believe it. He is for us, and he wants to walk with us, and he wants to be ahead of us and behind us and next to us, so we sense his presence with us. So that will keep us from doing what our natural human self wants to do. He blesses Noah. He blesses his family. He blesses you and I. But with that blessing comes responsibility. And then he makes a covenant. And that word covenant, it is, that too is, is a sacred, binding relationship or agreement. I mean, it's serious. When God makes a covenant, it's supposed to be binding and it's sacred. And he's got a reason for, he wants to keep the relationship between man and him going the way it's supposed to. I found seven covenants. And I thought, seven covenants, well that's that's the, the the complete number. And these covenants take, take us from Adam all the way to eternity. I'm gonna tell you what they are. The first covenant that God made was with Adam. And he, and he said to Adam, this is a covenant he made with him, he said, you can eat anything you want. The only thing, and he started this, we've talked about this many times, a reminder, God knew even before the fall, he said, I'm putting these two trees in the middle because I want you to make a choice. I don't want you to obey me and love me by a mere pushing of a button and you just do it. I want you to love me and obey me and listen to me because you know who I am and you want to. So he said, you know, I want to put I'll put these two trees in, it's gonna and if you disobey, then you will die. And I still I still today think that Adam thought, what does that mean? That word wasn't even heard of then, but God, we have, a, we have it in there. Somehow God revealed to, to Moses or to Adam or, or, you know, he had Adam tell Moses. I don't know. No, could, Adam couldn't have told Moses. But, I mean, God revealed either to Adam or to Moses that, that this, is the, this is so important that we understand God's principles right from the start. He put it right down there. We have proof that before the fall, he even set this up. Then he said to him, "But there's going to be one tree you can't eat from." And so the covenant is, you can eat from any other tree, but you can't eat from that. That that is that was the covenant he set up with him. Well, we know how that ended. And so what what. Does disobedience do? It it breaks the relationship between God and man. So this sacred binding relationship and agreement that God set up with Adam was broken. Covenant number two. (laughs) To me, these covenants are just so, their middle name is grace. The covenant proves God's grace and his love for man and what he wanted to accomplish through man. Such a beautiful relationship he wants with us. Covenant number two, he preserves, and that's what we did last week. The covenant he made last week and then this week about not destroying the world, I mean, the ark, He preserved the world through Noah and his children. And then he made this covenant about, I'm not going to do that again. That covenant did not mean that that the world would be perfect and he'd never have to do anything as drastic as the flood. I mean, we know for a fact that that he means that there won't be another flood. He won't destroy man and, and animals and creatures with a flood, but we do know that we're going to be a part of a new earth someday. He will get rid of everything that's been exposed to sin, and he's going to... He's going to make every wrong right. He's going to clean it all up forevermore. We do know that. We believe that. But right then, right in what we're studying now, he made this covenant. He, let's let's do it. Let's start over. He made the covenant with Noah, and then and then. Uh, Again, we see from from this lesson and, and if, when you go into Exodus and all that, you just keep going and you you see that man just doesn't want that sacred binding relationship with God, and they just walk away from it and any time God is could have that, said that's it, but he makes another covenant, he makes another covenant. And we're going to get to that in, in a couple weeks with Abraham. And he says to Abraham, he says, I am going to take your childlessness and make out of it a nation as many as the sands of the sea and the stars of the sky. And through that nation, we know comes a Savior. Another binding, sacred relationship. And It's true. Abraham has a son, Isaac, who has a son, Jacob, who then has a family of 70, and they go to Egypt because of a famine. And then then we know that they go eventually into captivity with the Egyptians and for 400 years, and Jacob's name is turned into Israel. And so now we have this nation of a million-plus people, and they're called the Israelites The nation of Israel, the nation God purposely formed, his people, that through the nation of Israel comes a savior. But they still. They of all, I mean, we, we read how, and I say this so many times, but in Judges, I mean, the, that generation after Joshua didn't even tell the next generation. This whole blessing thing shot out of the box. They didn't tell the next generation. They didn't even, they didn't even know, who's Moses? Oh, what happened to the Red Sea? They don't even know that, and it's because no one told them. So, the, covenant done. You know, and yet God doesn't give up. He makes another one. He makes another covenant through a man named Moses. He, he delivers the nation of Israel through Moses. And then we know that he then gives another covenant because what I just said, we, you know, after Moses died, then Joshua, and then the, you know, but then he makes another covenant through David. The line of David. He he I, I wrote this down. He promised an eternal shepherd and king. He used, he chose the man named David, David, who was a shepherd and he was king, who represents our shepherd and king. So did you see we've got Adam to Noah to Abraham? to Moses, and he just isn't giving up, is he? He just isn't giving up because he wants to bring the world a savior. And so in after David, in, in my, the, my next one was, the next covenant he made was Jesus. Jesus finally came, and Jesus fulfilled all those other covenants just the way God intended After the fall, he kept loving the people anyway and wanted to buy them back. And the only way he could redeem them and buy them back to to take this broken relationship that they've chosen. And this this is the kind of love we can't fathom. Instead of giving up, he just keeps making a covenant. And then Jesus comes but yet we know what people have done with Jesus. And then the seventh and the, f- the complete covenant is to us. The covenant, it's a personal covenant to you and to me. Okay, we have a Savior. Now what are you going to do with him? The covenant is we have someone who has bought and for our sins, and you, we here's the terms, this is what you need to do, and he set that all up for us. It's called forgiveness of sin through the blood of Christ on the cross. The covenant he made is if you follow these terms, you will experience the importance powering of God's spirit, to be able to live life abundant and full and complete here, but then know without a doubt that you will have a home forevermore. We have a God that just doesn't give up on his people. He just wants us. He wants to take broken relationships, broken covenants. He just keeps coming back and says, but I want you. I want you to be a part of all this. I don't want you to miss this. I don't want you to go to hell. It's not his will then, and he perish. But this last covenant, it's it's on us. And again, it's our choice. So, verse 17, I mean, we, we've, we've, we know that, well, verse 12, and God said, this is the sign of the covenant I'm making between you and every living creature, a covenant for all generations to come. I have sent my rainbow in the clouds, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you. I think he says, I've got I to gotta put that rainbow. I, I think I've noticed there have been more rainbows lately. There's been five. In one day, there were five rainbows. Well, Saturday, there were five rainbows. I think, I think he's got to keep reminding himself. I mean, I know we don't forget, but he keeps reminding himself because it's getting so terrible here. That he would, I think he's feeling the same thing now as he felt at the time of Noah and said that. And so it's probably such a, boy, I just love to take care of them all. So these rainbows remind him that I made a covenant with them, a sacred binding. I made a relationship possible with them. I'm going to keep giving them a chance. They still have a chance as long. I mean, like I said, we're living in the age of grace. I will whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it, remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures, every kind on the earth. So God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant established between me and all life on the earth. Then then this part of the chapter the sons of Noah who came out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And, you know, I thought, we, we know that. There's got to be a reason why he says, I want you to know those boys. I mean, they were they were part of the egg, obviously, going in. God saw their hearts. To me, they had good hearts, or they wouldn't have gotten on. They had good hearts. These these three sons heard their father preach and 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 live out and they became they they were with him but that to me even shows that we can never get comfortable in the fact that we are walking with God and we can just get lazy about that because to me I think and And somebody said to me this morning well how did you how did you know that it didn 't say that, but i I just think of the character of God, what did we read so far? When Enoch walked with God, God walked him right into glory. When Noah walked with God, he could do the impossible to me. He just listened and obeyed God when it all looked ridiculous. When you walk with God, you can do things like that." When you don't walk with God, you do things like what we're going to read. And how it can happen. If you think it can happen to you, if it can happen to Noah, a man, a righteous man that God showed favor upon because he had the right heart, but he got lazy with his walk and he walked right off the path. So this should just show us how important that every step is when we walk with God, how important every step is. Because if we ever get that mentality, that spiritual laziness, that spiritual cockiness, self will take over. It doesn't take much. And you know what? We are pulled. That's why Paul said, this is a living translation, but to me it fits. Don't let the world suck you into its mold it, it kind of sucks you in. If you are not empowered and, and walking with God and taking the time to keep that walk fresh and new, and you don't realize who he is and what he said and what, he's, what his instructions are and his terms, you, don't, you just kind of poo-poo that, and you think, ah, oh, sin, I'm, I'm, a good, I'm good enough. That's yes, what I think Paul writes too. You can't just sin, expect him and say, oh, his grace abounds. You can't do that. You know, maybe, maybe Noah was getting to that point. Now, this is years later because, I mean, a, a vineyard is grown and So it's years later, and maybe, you know, he's been given that big responsibility. The animals are scared of him. I mean, he, you know, you just self is so tricky. Could he, could he, and he just just this would not have happened if he was walking with God. I just know it. I dare, I dare put it all out there, I dare say. If he was walking with God, this would not have happened. And it can be such a subtle thing that gets us off the track. <clears throat> so now he is and, and maybe, maybe he's having trouble with one one with Ham. Maybe Ham's causing. Maybe maybe Ham's heart has not been you know haven't you seen children who who have just walked the path of Christianity and, and even maybe have gone on mission trips and, and love the Lord? And I mean I can name a couple right now that I mean, there was no doubt that these children had had loved Jesus and, and professed him as their savior. And because, you know, whether it's youth or whatever, you know, they, they, they don't think about it. They get caught up with the, with the crowd, and, and before you know it, they veered off. And it, it can happen. Maybe, maybe Ham did that. All I know was that Ham's heart wasn't right, but Noah's wasn't either. And this is what sin can do. I had one lady this morning say, I can't wait to you, w- tell you talk about that because I didn't think it was that big a deal. That punishment was so horrible. Why in the world? It's just not big a deal. And, and in my mind, I'm thinking, and I did say it later when I taught the lesson, I did say this. If you think that's not a big deal, then you have watched in, in our day and age, you've watched sin just, start to take over, and, and we've just started to excuse it. And that's what sin will do. And this is what I think God is trying to tell us in these, even in these first chapters of Genesis. He's trying to say, I'm, I'm setting, setting the tone here. This is the, exactly the way I want you to live. And if you don't, I want you, He puts these people in these stories for us to see. This is what happens that's why I prayed so tonight that somehow you and I would make this relatable to whatever and in I thought boy this is going to be a humdinger of a night we're going to tackle abortion capital punishment and alcoholism you know what a fun night and in this is why it is important it is important and so I I, I am going to see, and help you see, I hope, the danger of this. Because look, at this is what it says. It says, Noah, man of the soil, proceeded to plant a vineyard. And when he, oh, the vineyard grew, and now, now he reaps the harvest. And when he drank some of its wine, when he drank some of its wine, he, and this is another thing. You cannot just over, you can't just read over this and think it's not that big a deal. He took some of this wine and he became drunk. That's right there. No matter what version, what version I looked, he became drunk. And that's where you got to take a look. Look. And, and so the dangers of too much to drink. And, and, um, and the reason I come down a little heavy on this is, and I'm not trying to make anybody feel, you know, I'm not trying to pressure you. I'm not trying to, you know, this is your business. But I just feel that it's something that we have got to talk about because it's in there and in the words that are used and, and so I did, say, I mean, it's, I've experienced alcoholism so much in my family. And so, and I've watched what it's done. And so, you know, I'm going to tell you a couple of things tonight that, you know, I, I prayed about it and I really wondered, you know, I mean, you know, I'm going to just lay it out there for you. and. I, I think it's involved in this lesson that God is saying I'm trying to show you that human sinful nature just just loses control and then the damage I'm trying to keep you from being damaged and from families being damaged. And so I I searched what why why does why has our city turned into a brewery on every corner instead of a church on every corner? It's just gone. That you know, we just moved. We just moved it right over, and it's where everybody conjugates now. And and why? Why is it so prevalent today? Why has it made such a drastic change, even in our little community? Well, one is, it's just the social thing to do. And how, again, it sucks you in. Now, you know, I've told you, you know and my brother is an uh, alcoholic. He, he is, he's recovered for 30 years, but he still classifies himself as an alcoholic. And, and it started, it started with him with one can of beer when he was in high school right across the street. Because it was the social thing to do. It was the cool thing to do. And it started with one can. And because, and and again, I think science and health has proven that, that in certain people, it is like a magnet that you just then can't get enough. And then I've watched what happened, the results, when that one can of beer, the trouble that he, he got into or, or the, the things that he lost. And it was all because of that social, but then it just became that addictive kind of behavior and he couldn't stop. And I've watched him cry when he knows that, because that one question, remember we said a few weeks ago, does our influence, does that affect the next generation? And we so quickly said, oh, yes, of course it does. Well, then we better see how serious that is. And I watched him cry because of, of the pain And I think this is what Noah is feeling too. He realizes, because of my mistakes and my addictiveness and my behavior in this, it doesn't just affect me. It affects the people who I love and who I care about. And... You know, no, I know. And again, I say to you, it's in here, stays in here. And and um, but I really prayed about it. I thought, you know, if I if I talk about my mom, um, I know she's gone now. So does that give me liberty to just talk about her in old way? And I really think that what my mom might be experiencing now, and. She would give me permission because she wants to be like Noah and let my mistakes maybe help someone else. That's what I'm believing because I love my mom. But she had a problem. Now, she had a dad. She had a dad. I mean, the story that she would tell me, she lost her mom when she was only nine. And then she lived with an aunt, and her dad was a went to the bar every night after work, and he would come in every night. And, and even when my mom was a little older, when she started dating my dad at 14, 15, one night my grandpa was so bad that she had to call my dad. My dad had come over and kind of punch him out a little bit because he was just so abusive. So I know she came up the hard way. But instead of seeing the damage that my grandpa did to his family, she got sucked up into it. And, you know, it got to me, and and my dad, you know, my dad didn't think there was anything, there wasn't a problem, but they both, but my mom, we talked to her, I talked to her so many times, you know, and and after my dad passed away, I had an experience where um, a friend of mine she she uh, told me about. They were sitting around a fire and and um, at a resort, and um, one of her friends, um, well, uh, her parents were there too, and and then. He said, he said to my friend, he says, uh, your friend's with Al Pierce, huh? She said, yeah. He, she says, uh, he said, um, you probably didn't know that I was, I was her mom's booze runner. See, once my dad was gone, and I'd, I would do anything for my mom. I really would. But that was the one thing I said I can't do. I cannot do that, and so I knew she had to be finding someone, but it, you know, did it hurt me, did it embarrass me, I wasn't, I wasn't consumed with embarrassment, I was, I was just so hurt, I thought, boy, you know, I knew she had a problem, but to have to take someone off the street, so to speak, to be her booze runner, because her. So, you know, I just know that, that it's not just a social thing. I'm sure that's the way it started with my mom, too. And thought, well, I won't, I won't turn out like my dad. But it's, it's in there for a reason, that, that this kind of behavior is just... Because sin changed everything, and it changed... Uh, inside of us it it affects our mind it another reason it's so prevalent is because everybody's stressed out everybody's so stressed everybody's got a bazillion problems and for uh, to be able to escape it's the at least for at least for the evening just let me escape from my problems It's all for the wrong reason, and you know Paul. Paul had a verse, Ephesians five eighteen, and it's just a couple liner, and it just makes so much sense. See, this isn't a new problem. We all have weaknesses, and you know, uh, and addictions aren't just drugs and alcohol and that, but it's when we lose control and. This story has just so many facets, and maybe you're sitting there thinking, well, I'm so glad we don't have that in our family or whatever. But there's always something. And, you know, Proverbs 20 and 23, Solomon talks about that. In fact, he even, he even makes it, he even says that, that, oh, it's so red and enticing in that glass. Yeah, Solomon even says that. I mean, it, it looks almost irresistible. And maybe, and maybe some people, maybe some people can handle, you know. But I still say you've got to be careful because in, in, I'm telling you, you've, it's really got to taste good. I think about knowing how it is in, in, in our family. I have to stay away from it. Can you imagine? I'd be a lush. I know I would. I know I would, because because it's just the way, well, if a a little is good, a lot's a whole lot better. And I know, so I... And and so, you know, um, Solomon talks about that in Proverbs, but but Paul talks about it too. So, you know, it's all through Scripture. And this is what Paul says. Don't, don't. Don't feel you need to escape or if you're stressed out and you just need something to numb you. Do not get drunk. Do not get drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery. So I looked up that word, and it, it's unholy living. It's loud. It's probably a lot of cussing. It's crude talk, it's out of control behavior. you don't even realize in fact, when my brother stopped drinking, he, he asked Tom and I a couple of times, and I won't say it in his language because because he just put it laid it right out there. he said, "Did I act like that? Did I really act like that? He didn't even know it <gasps> what what, what People do when they're drunk, they would never do when they're sober. So Paul addresses that. He says, don't do it. Don't do it because it leads to that kind of behavior. You don't even realize it. You would be sick if you knew what you did or what you said. Instead, he said, instead, here's your choice. When life overwhelms you and you and you just want to get numb for a while or whatever or you want to escape, I mean, just.'" You, you still have to. The thing is, the next morning you still have to pay the consequences. But Paul's alternative, his alternative, is instead, instead, be filled with his spirit. Go to his word. Be filled with his spirit. When life is overwhelming, you go to his word. Hear his promises. Listen to what he says that he can do. Get back on the right walk with him because he's for you and he is ahead of you. He's behind you. He's beside of you. He's there to walk every step with you. You've got that choice. And Paul says it, instead of this, try this. Because you know what happens when you're filled with the spirit <laughs> instead of debauchery you you have love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control That's a little bit of a contrast, wouldn't you say? So That's what Paul says. Ephesians 18, if you want that verse. Um, Alcoholism is a depressant. I'm sure you've heard all this. It's a depressant. It loosens you up to then act the way you would never act. You lose your self-control. You lose your judgment. You lose your wisdom. You even lose your balance a lot of times. But the spirit is a stimulant the Holy Spirit is a stimulant that will that will always make things better because that's what those nine fruit are so look it says he became drunk and then because do you think noah Nuts. Do you think Noah would ever have done this? I said this to you before. Do you think he would have ever done this if he was walking with the Lord? He wanted because this when look at it, he got drunk and then picture, I'm sure you did picture this. He's laying there, he's laying there, and he is drunker than a skunk, and he's he's naked as a jaybird. I mean, that's humiliating. I, I just know, I just know that he would never do that if he was walking with the Lord and then and then you watch you watch Ham. You watch Ham come in and he he thinks I'm sure he thinks it's a joke. I I mean According to the ancient Hebrew, he took delight in that. The ancient Hebrew text says that he took delight in that. He comes out, and he goes to his two brothers and says, oh, you wait till you see the old man. He's not so perfect after all. I mean, you talk about disrespect and mockery of a parent when you're supposed to honor them. He made a mistake. And, and Ham just loved it. There's something wrong with his heart. When you, when you want someone's failure more than their success, something's wrong with your heart. Now, Shem and Japheth, they didn't think it was so funny, did they? And I know sometimes when people hear stories and, and I... I know when that man told my friend, he laughed. He thought it was so funny. Yeah, I'm Linnell Pierce's mom's booze runner. They're laughing. It wasn't funny. And this wasn't funny. And the two brothers, whose hearts are right, I mean, I, I couldn't help but picture this. They'd take their dad's coat and they put it on their shoulders. I mean, they thought this through so that they could back in, take the coat, f- cover him, and then walk straight out without ever looking at him. Now that's honoring your parent, even though they make mistakes. That's why I was really careful about what I said I, and make sure that you understand. And please, you know what? You could, you could walk out of here and you could be a ham. And you could walk out of here and you could call somebody and say, boy, do I have a story for you. You think she's so perfect. You think her family was so wonderful. Oh, boy, do I have something to tell you. Yeah, you could do that. But you're playing right into this. I know my mom, she made a mistake. She, a section of her life was a mistake, but I know when I watched her pass away, I know that she went into glory, and I know that her Savior took away that addiction. And she's the way she's supposed to be. But I know she would want you to to see this. as This is real, folks. This isn't just Noah's story. This is so many people's story. So then, I mean, look at, curse be Canaan. Cursed be Canaan. And and this is where you think it wasn't cursed on Noah. Noah hands the curse down. So Noah woke from the wine and found out what his younger son had done, and he said, Cursed be Canaan. The lowest of slaves will he be to his brothers. He had to come down hard. He had to come down. But I think he is experiencing the punishment of watching his influence on his sons. He, the, his, his sons watched him flounder. That's why, you know, you, you can never, your job as parents, grandparents, it's never done. And even though you can't tell them what to do, we are so responsible for making sure that our influence is where it's supposed to be, so they can see that. I mean, what's the matter with with parents when they think it's okay for themselves to do it, but no, their kids mate, and when they grow old, I mean Tom and I we just we this was one subject of that I really stood firm on and, and he he totally agreed with me but I said I never want our boys to be able to say yeah but you did if that doesn't keep us going with our walk with the Lord it's still for our kids even though they're as old as they are our influence is still major I mean, there are times when when I've had to go to my boys and, and my instinct is to say, don't say anything, it's just going to make trouble and they're just going to get mad at you. But there's been times that I thought, no, I've got a verse of scripture, they don't even realize what they're doing and I'm still their mom, I still got to say it. And one time, one time I had it where one of my boys said to me, I think we better take a little vacation from each other. And oh, that just broke my heart. And it, it, it happened. We, it, it happened. I mean, and I just couldn't believe that that would ever happen. But I think the reason why it affected him so much was because I had biblical proof. I wasn't doing it to try to get them. I was trying to show them because that's what parents do, even if it is going to cause trouble. And, you know, who likes it when someone comes and points out something to you? I don't think there's any one of us that says, oh, thanks a lot. I really appreciate what you did. I mean, we should because it's, when you've got someone who loves you enough... We should be so thankful, but, but it's not in our human nature to say thanks for showing me. But sometimes, you know, we have to stand on God's word and we have to continue to be parents. Because I'll tell you, this lesson just, just really exploded in so many directions for me. I'm sure Noah was so sad for what he did. But he came down hard, the curse on, say, on Canaan. The lowest of slaves will be his brothers. And then he turned and said to Seth, he must have just had the, the best heart. There must have been something about Seth's character. Because remember, when our heart is right, it, our, our actions follow. And so he, you know, of, of Noah's line, of the three sons, how did, how did Seth get picked to be in the line of Christ? Seth was picked as the, the, the one that Jesus would come from. So this is what he said. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and make Canaan be the slave of Shem. And then he moved to Japheth and said, may God extend the territory of Japheth. But then I noticed he said, may Japheth live in the tents of Shem. So even though Japheth did right, and he was, his, what does that mean? His, his territory was expanded, extended, but yet he lived under the tent of Shem, it doesn't say, and you can take this or leave this, but I just kind of tried to put it all together and I thought, could this be, could this be that Japheth's territory went into the Gentile territory? That someday um, Peter and Cornelia and Cornelius and, and Paul, that they were going to just engraft. Any and every, it doesn't matter, male, female, Jew, Gentile, you're engrafted into God's family. But yet, living under the tent of Shem, the line, because Jesus is the one that made it all possible. Again, doesn't say, but it's just something to ponder and to think about. And And may Canaan be his slave also. Do you know that it was that most of Canaan's descendants was taken out at Jericho and during that period of time? And his line, his line just did and followed exactly this. They they became slaves underneath and they were eventually annihilated after the flood after the flood noah lived 350 years altogether noah lived 950 years and then he died and maybe you're thinking oh it's so depressing and, and I, knew, I knew it was really going to be a blinger. I, I, I knew it was going to be a tough lesson and that we were going to handle a lot of things. But no, we're not ending that way. And not because I'm making something up so that you can leave here feeling better. I hope you're challenged. I hope that you you are convicted, or I hope that that you know you really see again the severity of sin and the consequences and and God is firm on that and I mean he has set the boundaries and he he's he's trying to protect us from hurting ourselves and from families and He doesn't want us broken so I found, I went to Hebrews, I went to Hebrews chapter 11. And you know as well as as I do that that chapter is just full of all the, it's just full of all the, and by faith, and by faith, and by faith, and if you get to the seventh verse of Hebrews 11, and by faith, Noah. Noah. You talk about how he can take mistakes. And when you are heartfelt and you confess and you repent, and repentance means you don't want to do it again, he then brings us back into that beautiful covenant, that beautiful binding sacred relationship. And it's proven. In Hebrews 11, chapter 7, I don't have to leave you with Noah, and then he died after this humongous mistake. No, God remembered that no more and put him right in there, into the hall of faith. And we, too, need to remember that Noah was a man that was righteous and God poured favor on him and he loved the Lord and he walked with God but he also shows us when you step out of fellowship with him look what self can do it's an eye opener but yet we have a God who is just yes and there will be consequences but we have a God who is so faithful from generation to generation if we're just willing to pass it on and thank the Lord, Shem passed it on, and we have a Savior today. So, Heavenly Father, it, it was a brutal lesson, there's no doubt about it. But yet it turns, and this is what you do. You turn these, these truthful lessons to help us see, to help us know the severity You put real feet on it so that we can see that we, even when we don't see it sometimes in our own self, that these stories just really are right in our face. Father, and you don't do it because you're mean. You do it because you don't want us to continue down that path. Father, you see our hearts. You saw Noah's heart even though he made a mistake, but you saw, you saw his heart, and it was genuine, and it was, and it was real for you, and it, there was potential, and there was confession and repentance. I know we don't see that, but he wouldn't have been put in Hebrews 11 if that didn't happen. So, Father, help us to just kind of put all the pieces of of Scripture together tonight to just see that, yes, you are firm, but you are so just, and, yes, you are so loving, and this is what this ninth chapter is about. Lord, you want us free. You want us free from addictions. You want us free from fear. You want us free from guilt, and shame. You want to take all the heavy shackles that we carry because, because guilt and shame weigh heavy and you want to transfer those shackles into a glorious song. And that song is, I'm free because of Jesus. We pray this all in his precious name. Amen.